So if you would, turn in your Bibles with me to uh, Hebrews, the book of Hebrews chapter 1. Book of Hebrews chapter 1. If you do not have a Bible um, with you and uh, need one, just uh, raise your hand. Kevin will go around and he's passing around Bibles in the back. So raise your hand if you need to have a Bible. Uh, and also, uh, there's a handout, should be a handout on your chair or near your chair. We also have some extra handouts in the back. So if you would like to follow along with um, this morning's uh, scripture uh, teaching, you could do so uh, with, the, with the handout as well. So we're in Hebrews chapter 1. And uh, let me begin with a word of prayer, then we'll read a passage of scripture this morning, and then we'll um, jump into our teaching. So if you would, pray with me. Father God, we um, we now take uh, a moment to kind of center our, our hearts, center our minds on your scripture. God, we ask that you uh, speak to us through your word. Teach us and instruct us. Show us what we what it is that we need to know so that we could worship you and honor you properly. And what uh, you would have us to, to change in our, in our thoughts, in our behaviors. Um, mold us and shape us, God, through your scripture. We ask this in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, Amen and Amen. The book of Hebrews. Chapter 1, I'll read verses 1 through 4. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Communication is a fundamental is fundamental to what it means to be human. Our communication with one another is, uh, is central to who we are. We are communicative creatures, right? Uh, I know this. I have uh, an eight-month-old. An eight-month-old who is learning um, and actually grasping very readily how to communicate. Um, and it's an interesting thing for moms and dads to try and figure out what an eight-month-old is trying to communicate, right? Have you interacted with the small children who can't speak, but nevertheless, they're still trying to communicate? We were just uh, figuring it out this weekend that the lips purse together and um, like a mmm sound, that's I'm hungry. <laughs> we're starting to figure figure this communication out. And it's fascinating as I've been watching my eight-year-old uh, eight-month-old. I keep saying eight-year-old. Oh, eight-month-old. I keep watching my eight-month-old and, and her trying to communicate with us and us trying to communicate back. I realize this is fundamental to what it means to be human. We are communicative creatures. 
And this is no, this is no accident that we are communicative creatures. We are, we, communication is fundamental to what it means to be human because we were made in the image of God. And communication is fundamental to what it means to be human, not just because we're made in the image of God, but we're made in the image of a God who communicates, a God who speaks. And this serves as the starting point for where the author of Hebrews begins this, uh, his sermon. Last week, we were uh, reviewing a little bit where we were last week. Last week, we covered a little bit of uh, some introductory material to Hebrews. We learned uh, that Hebrews is a sermon. It's a little different than a lot of other books of the New Testament. Although it was written down and written to a group of people, it was fundamentally a, a sermon and kind of preaches like a sermon. We don't know who the author is precisely. We don't know exactly who the audience is either. But we were able to determine a few things about the, the author and the audience. The audience was experiencing some difficulties, persecutions, trials, uh, were, were uh, tempted regularly to abandon their faith in Christ. And so this author, this preacher, is preaching and imploring them to remain faithful to Christ in the midst of all of these persecutions. So now it makes sense that as the writer is launching into this encouragement to encourage God's people to remain faithful to Christ, he begins with this fundamental understanding, God is a speaking God. God is a speaking God. And so let's look. There's two, um, two parts about this God being a speaking God today. And uh, this first part is, well, first that he's a speaking God. We get this from verse 1. It says that God, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke. God spoke. God is a speaking God. Creation begins with God speaking. Right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the waters. And, and then it says, and then God said, let there be light. God said, God said, 10 times in the opening chapter alone, God is said to have spoken. He spoke creation into existence. And this is fundamental. This is, this is fundamental to the understanding of the Hebrew scriptures, fundamental to the Christian scriptures, is that God is a God who reveals himself. God makes himself known. He discloses himself through speech, through words, through communication. And this itself is an act of God's grace. God's speech is itself an act of God being gracious. Have you thought about that? If God didn't speak to us, we would be in trouble. We would still be lost. We would still be separated from him. We would be, um, we would have, we would have no idea on how it is to connect with God unless God took the initiative to speak to us. His speech alone is an act of his grace. God is a speaking God. And that 
uh, that speech itself shows the graciousness, the goodness, and the generosity of who God is. So how is this grace manifested, this act of grace that God has shown? How is it manifested? First, there's three questions. To whom God spoke, when God spoke, and through whom God spoke. This is what the writer wants to establish right here in the opening verses. To whom God spoke. It says that God spoke to our fathers. Long ago, many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers. Now, this would be code uh, for um, remember, this is written to the title of this letter is to the Hebrews. So this would be written to um, likely a mixed church, but definitely uh, a Jewish element to this audience. And they would know when you spoke to a, a Jewish, um, even a Jewish Christian in the first century, when you would refer to the fathers, that really means something. The fathers refer to uh, the fathers of Israel, Abraham. Isaac, Jacob, whose name gets changed to Israel. Israel with the 12 tribes. Judah, Simeon, Benjamin. So fathers, this is really ringing back much of what the Old Testament is referring to. Right? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Those were referred to as the fathers. Though the title here doesn't necessarily restrict to just the fathers, it could refer to the entire people of God throughout the Old Testament. The fathers. And so this is to whom God had spoke. God spoke to our fathers. But notice that it says our fathers as well too. This is an important thing to keep in mind. That the Christian faith, the, what Jesus began is uh, connected to a much larger story. The Christian faith is connected to the Jewish story. What God had done through the nation of Israel. What God's redemption through, through them. So their story becomes our story. The story of Jesus doesn't begin in Bethlehem. The story of Jesus begins much earlier. And the writer of Hebrews regularly points that out. As a matter of fact, he, he uh, many times throughout his letter, this sermon, he's going to call on events and persons and images and pictures from the life of Israel. And it all points to Jesus. So this is to whom God spoke. God spoke to our fathers. God spoke to our fathers, we need to, even as the Christian church, need to view ourselves in a continuing line with what God was doing through the people of Israel in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant. Right? So that's to whom God spoke. To our fathers. Second question is when God spoke. The writer says, at many times and in many ways, and it was long ago. This is a very poetic um, in the Greek, this is all of these words all begin with the, the letter P. And so uh, this writer is being very poetic, using alliteration. Uh, it's a very fascinating, uh, interesting device that this writer is doing. Um, when he says, many times and in many ways and long ago, and it just kind of rings in this very poetic thing. And this is what's used to describe uh, to when God spoke. God spoke in... Diverse ways. God spoke in um, uh, 
little bits and pieces regularly throughout the biblical story, right? You saw this in many times. Sometimes it was direct speech. God just would speak. Sometimes he would speak through angels. An angel of the Lord would appear to someone and give them a message from God. Sometimes they would speak face to face as God spoke with uh, Moses. It says that Mo God, Moses spoke with God face to face. Um, God spoke through burning bushes. God spoke through visions given to prophets. God spoke through a donkey. God spoke. God regularly spoke at many times and in many different ways. And this, uh, this again points to the diversity of what, how God spoke in the Old Testament. God spoke to our fathers at many times and in many ways and long ago. And then the third question is to whom or through whom, excuse me, through whom did God speak? And this, he says, was by the prophets, by the prophets. Now, prophets here, as I believe we've said before, prophets here are not uh, necessarily uh, future tellers. Not necessarily, um, we think of prophets as someone who could just predict the future or, um, or like fortune tellers. They, uh, they're not like foretellers as much as they are forth tellers, right? Do you understand what I mean? Like a foreteller would be just to foretell events that are going to happen in the future. Um, but a prophet is a little bit more than that. A prophet is a forth teller. A prophet is one who spoke the very words that God had given him. If they were a true prophet. Because there's two kinds of prophets in the Old Testament. If they were a true prophet, they spoke God's words as given to them. Now, sometimes that involved the prediction of future events. God would say, I'm going to do this. You need to go tell my people. Sometimes it involved the stating of uh, events that were going to take place in the future. But more, this was speaking God's word. He was calling his people to hear and to respond. And this is how God spoke, through the prophets. Through the prophets. Peter, writing uh, along this lines in, first, in 2 Peter chapter 1, uh, says, Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the message of the prophets uh, were not their own words, but were God words that God himself addressed to them in a particular uh, situation. And so this includes all of those through whom God spoke throughout the Old Testament. For the author of Hebrews, what God said, what God said through prophets refers to his entire speech throughout the Old Testament. So let's, let's kind of sum this up here. So long ago, and many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. What a great way for this preacher to begin his sermon, right? Let me affirm that God is a speaking God. He's spoken in the past. We know this because we're, his, we're, we're in this line of people. We have evidence of the fact that God has spoken to us in the scriptures. And notice it's the same God who speaks in the Old Testament. Even though he spoke in diverse ways, even though he spoke to different people at different times throughout history, and albeit in fragmentary, fragmentary ways 
in uh, pieces and parts. It was still the same God speaking. It's the same God speaking. But the author doesn't stop there. He now moves on to something very important for his audience to know. And that is that the speaking God has spoken. The speaking God has spoken. And this, you get a major turn right there in verse 2. But, but, God spoke long ago and in many ways at many times. But, a change is coming. God spoke to our fathers, but, God spoke to the prophets, but, there's a, there's a, um, a contrast, a significant contrast, a clear contrast is being made by the writer. And he follows the exact same pattern in verse 2 that he follows in verse 1. To whom God has spoken. Well, that is, he has spoken to us. Now, in the past, long ago, God spoke to our fathers, but he has spoken now to us. Number two, when God has spoken. He has spoken to us in these last days. And this also is pretty significant because the, uh, uh, the, in the Jewish thought was that history was kind of divided into two periods. There was uh, this age and the age to come. And they were waiting for the Messiah to come and inaugurate the new age, this the new kingdom. And this was referred to as the last days. Jesus said on several occasions, said, um, behold, we're in the last days with his coming. Um, the last days have kind of arrived already. So God spoke. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So to whom God has spoken, that's to us. When has God spoken? He's spoken in these last days and through whom God has spoken. That is by his son. And each of these contrasts with uh, something that he said in the first verse. Whereas God spoke to our fathers, he speaks to us. Whereas uh, he spoke it many times and in many ways in these last days now. He is speaking to us. Whereas he spoke through the prophets, now he is spoken through the Son. So God is a speaking God, but uh, in verse 2, he is described here as a God who has spoken. The word is the same word, but it's now changed. Uh, it's, uh, it, they're both past tense um, they're both past tense verbs, but one uh, in verse one is God has spoken, which kind of means like he's having spoken at lots of different times. He spoke in the past, but it happened kind of here and there. And if you were to plot it on like a graph, you'd be able to dot like the ways in which God uh, has uh, God spoke or having spoken. But in verse two, it's a significant change in the word. He has spoken. This signifies a definitive, clear, point-in-time reference. 
So in other words, God in the past would be speaking, he'd speak in lots of many different ways, but in now he has spoken clearly, definitively, and finally in Jesus. Clearly, definitively, and finally in Jesus. So here's a kind of a chart to show you how this, how this writer is artistically beginning this. God spoke to our fathers long ago at many times in many ways by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So, you can still put it this way. Jesus Christ is the final, the authoritative communication from God. And two, the scriptures, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, all point to him. The God who speaks has spoken in his son. So, why does the, why does the preacher begin this way? Well, one is, well, this should be the foundation in which all preachers should begin, Right? If we operate on the fundamental belief that God is a speaking God and he speaks to, uh, to his people and he has revealed himself in Christ and revealed himself in the scriptures, then it makes sense that he would want to begin here by reminding his people. He's giving them a message from God and he needs to begin by reminding him. By the way, God's a speaking God. I'll begin that way. And that God has spoken in his son. That's one way to think about it. The preacher is just being a faithful preacher, right? He's just being faithful to what? Uh, to the truth of God who reveals himself. But also, we need to keep in mind who he is writing this to. What better word to give to a group of Christians who are experiencing the types of things that this church was experiencing. They were tempted, as we saw last week, they were tempted to abandon Jesus for something else. They were tempted to leave behind the teachings of Christ um, for expedient's sake, to avoid being harassed, to avoid persecution. The writer, as we said last week, the writer mentions the fact that they were, uh, their property was seized, that they were publicly abused and berated because of what they believed about Jesus. And so what better word to give to these people than to remind them, by the way, God has spoken. God's not silent. He hasn't abandoned you. He hasn't left. They needed to hear. They needed to be reminded right at the outset. God speaks. And God has spoken clearly and definitively in Christ. In Jesus, we have the final revelation of who God is, which means we don't need any others. We don't need to have more books of the Bible written. We don't need to have... Um, uh, uh, 
I always get a little suspicious when you, you know, think about a prophetic or fresh new word that somebody might have, a contemporary. And then I remember scriptures like this and I think, woo, we need to be very careful, very careful uh, about that kind of thing. Or some people referring to um, uh, modern day teachers and preachers as, boy, that's just a prophet. I would be very cautious. First of all, I would remind them there are two different kinds of prophets. <laughs> There's two different kinds of prophets. Uh, just as there, and Peter says, just as there were false prophets in those days, there will be false teachers among you. So, I'd be very cautious to, to, uh, to think that we need to have a new, fresh word of God when the writer here is reminding them, Jesus is the final revelation of who God is. What we need to know in our life today can all be found in Jesus. All of the scripture points to Jesus. All of the letters referring to Jesus, explaining who he is. Everything that we need to know has been given to us in our understand, in understanding Christ, in understanding who he is. Right? We need to mine the depths of, uh, of understanding who Christ is and what he taught, what he lived, how he lived, and why he died, why he came back to life. All of those are central to us and are deeply, deeply relevant to us now. The, the, what this church needed was to know that what Jesus has done is the final word. And what we need to know is that what Jesus has done and who he is, is the final word. Right? And this is how the writer begins. And then we will get into, this writer is mining everything he could possibly mine about who Jesus is. And we see this in even the rest of where he goes in the, uh, this passage. And we'll get into this in greater detail next week. But he's spoken to us by his son, and then he lists off this litany of things about the son, whom he is appointed as heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. Number three, he is the radiance of the glory of God. Four, the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power making purifications for sin, sitting down at the right hand of the majesty, and that's just how he begins. Next week, we're going to look at all of those in great detail. But understanding who Jesus is is deeply, deeply relevant to us. You want to know how to live. You want to know how to believe, how to act it's been given to us in Jesus. God has spoken. The God who speaks has spoken in his son. So, that has some implications for us. As a church, for us, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Every week, every week, I come, I want everyone here to walk away knowing something more about Jesus as it's revealed in Scripture. And that's hard. Uh, the, the temptation to not do that and to focus on other kinds of teaching is very, very great. 
Because, you know, the temptation is, well, I want something more relevant, like how it is I can help my job or how is it I can, you know, help, help in my marriage. Well, those are very important things. But unless you, if you go to the scripture to find out how to do those things, circumventing where Jesus fits in all of this, uh, you're, you're missing the point of what the scriptures talk about. Does God have things to say about our marriage and how to help? Absolutely. He says, um, Jesus is kind of married to his church. And so we need to find out how husbands could be by how they act with their church. Uh, how Jesus acts with his church. And the church could, you know, wives could find out how they could be by modeling what the church does to her husband. Right? Everything is grounded and centered in who Christ is. Well, I, I just want to know how it is that I could experience uh, peace with God. Well, you are enemies. And God, through Christ, was reconciling you to him. You want to have peace with other people? But unless you grasp that fundamental truth that, wait, you need to be made at peace with God. I have trouble forgiving other people. How, how can I help find it? Well, you need to understand how God forgave you. In Christ, you see how he is the central key that unlocks everything that we could possibly find as relevant for how to live our lives finds itself in Christ, finds itself in Jesus. So for us, it's all about Jesus. It's all about the good news about who Christ is. And likewise, we focus on scripture. We focus on the text of Scripture. We want to read Scripture because we truly believe um, that if we're really going to understand who Jesus is, he is revealed to us in Scripture. And not just in the New Testament. Jesus is revealed to us even in the Old Testament. He saw, we saw this in John chapter 5. Jesus is debating with the religious leaders. And um, Jesus says this profound words. He says, you know, um, in John chapter five, begin in verse 37. And the father who sent me, this is Jesus saying this, has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have you have never heard. He's referring to the religious leaders of the day. His voice you've never heard. His form you've never seen. And you did not have his word abiding in you, for you did not believe in the one whom he has sent. Verse 39, this is the key part. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. See what Jesus is doing there? All of the scriptures, by the way, you're the religious leaders, you're the scribes, you're the one who keep the scrolls in the temple, and you don't really know who I am. Um, uh, you do not have God's word really, really abiding in you because you would believe in the one whom it is sent. And he says, you search the scriptures and if you search the scriptures and miss me, you've missed everything because all of the scripture points to Jesus. So for us, we focus on scripture. The writer of Hebrews focuses on scripture. He quotes the Old Testament more than any other uh, book in the New Testament. So as we study through Hebrews, we're going to learn the Old Testament pretty well. And we find Jesus in Scripture. So here's a couple of um, why that's important for us. We need to hear God speaking to us in his son. 
We are, uh, like that chart I showed you, we are in that right-hand column. God has spoken. The last days are here. He has spoken to us in His Son. And I'm really convinced that there really is, uh, there's a famine. I believe that there's a famine for hearing God speak through the Scriptures in this day and age. And we live in a time when there's more resources than ever there are dozens and dozens of English Bible translations. Dozens. Some languages, there's hundreds of languages in the world that don't even have a translation of the Bible. We have dozens of English translations. Some are produced every, a new one's produced every couple of years. We have uh, printed Bibles. I would imagine many of you have multiple printed Bibles in your, uh, in your home. We have Bible apps. You have the web. You can, you can access the written scriptures he's looking on his iPhone right now. You know, uh, you, we can have unprecedented access to God's word, but do we know it? Are we listening to it? Are we, uh, are we centering ourselves around it? Are we reading it? Are we memorizing it? So we're going to read, we're going to read uh, scripture. I'd encourage you, read scripture. My wife and I were talking this week as we're going through this Hebrew series. She thought, you know what, it may be a good idea if we could just charge everyone to read through Hebrews um, multiple times during the series. So, for example, maybe you could read, sit down and read through Hebrews in one sitting. As we're studying through it, it might give you a sense of the entire book, where we're going. You get the, you know, kind of the idea. Maybe you can uh, break it down. There's 13 chapters in Hebrews. Maybe you could read a chapter a day. And then you have gone through Hebrews once every two weeks. Um, I know many of you are reading. You're on Bible reading plans and stuff too. But uh, if you're not, I encourage you, begin with Hebrews. Begin reading through Hebrews. And read it by yourself. But another thing you could do is get together with somebody else too. Find somebody else in the church and maybe just one-on-one. -on -one Find some time to read it together out loud with one another. It's not as awkward as it sounds. <laughs> I know some of you might be going, no, that sounds really awkward. It's not as awkward as me making you stare at one another like I did last week. Um, but to just sit down and go, let's read this passage. Let's read two chapters of Hebrews together and see what God might have uh, bring to our minds and teach us. And then you have somebody right away to talk about, well, what does this mean? What do I need to believe? What do I need to do? So maybe you could do that. One-on-one -on -one reading, read all the way through Hebrews. Maybe we can memorize it. Um, I'm making it my goal. Um, my wife is not sure she wants to make this her goal yet, but I want to make it my goal uh, to memorize the entire book of Hebrews. And so I would invite you, any of you who want to follow along with me and work on that, to memorize the entire book of Hebrews. And you've got like a year. You've got like a year and a half. By the time we're done with Hebrews uh, next summer, that gives you, that gives you, to, you only need to memorize like, you know, four or five verses a, a week. Think you could do that? Memorize. Not making anyone do this, but, but, but if you would like to, I would like to issue a challenge. If anybody wants to try uh, to join me in this challenge, to memorize the book of Hebrews. Yes. 
some faces, but um, I will keep bringing this up. I know some of you do memorize scripture. The kids, uh, a lot of kids here have memorization for school and that kind of thing. Uh, so if you're already doing something, that's fine. But if you would like a challenge, um, join join me in this challenge. I want to, by the end, for us to be able to just recite Hebrews. I even saying it's making me nervous. So I'm like, wow, this is going to be this is going to be a challenge. Um, and then another suggestion would be, uh, again, if we're focusing on Jesus, and is to pray scripture. To pray scripture. So we talk about reading the scripture. We talk about reading it out loud. Uh, reading it one-on-one with other people. Memorizing scripture. But, um, but what about praying scripture as well? So like we did last week with uh, the writer of Hebrews closing benediction. Uh, now may the God of peace. That whole section there, you know. Make that our, make that our prayer. May the God of peace who brought again from the dead Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep. Maybe we break that up and you could find these passages of scriptures and you pray, God, thank you for Jesus being the great shepherd. Thank you for making me one of your sheep. You ever done prayed scripture that way? Take the words of scripture, turn it around and make those your words of prayer back to to God. We could do this, right? And we could do this because we believe the fundamental truth that God is a God who communicates to us. And he's done it through the spoken word. Our God is a speaking God. And he has spoken. Finally, definitively spoken to us in his son. Jesus. We listen to him. Let's listen to him. Would you bow your heads? Let's pray. Father God, we uh, are so grateful when we pause to think that you would um, that you would allow us to invade your privacy. That you would so graciously disclose yourself so that we could know you. God, may that be a thought and a truth that I never fail to appreciate. The graciousness of your speech to us. And how you've spoken in your word. That we have before us your speech God, may we, may we uh, embrace your scriptures as the words you have spoken to us and that you have revealed to us your son, Jesus, so that we could know him. God, help us to know him more. Help us to know your scriptures and your word more. Help us to put it into our hearts so that we can know that you still speak to us today because of what you have definitively spoken in your son. God, we give uh, you thanks for that. And we, uh, God, we are challenged by your word and what it teaches us for how we can uh, 
need to read and study and uh, dig into your scriptures more so that we can find Jesus. We're grateful to you for that. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray all of these things. And everyone said, Amen and Amen.